Well, our worship team was a little bit excited, I think, this week because we got to sing some Christmas songs in March. And uh, Trish sent the email out. Christmas carols and Christmas songs in March. Get ready. And uh, it's kind of nice, isn't it? I mean, because these Christmas songs are so deep and so rich. And some of these choruses that we've sung as well, that one right there, we have a Savior. I mean, just the lyrics for these songs are so powerful. And uh, joy of the world. I mean, come on. This is just amazing stuff. And we get to sing them like once a year. Because we sing them one Sunday during the Advent season. Maybe again on Christmas Eve if, you know, if, we're, if it's really good. So maybe it's just something we should do every year. Just like in March or you know, maybe like in July or something. about how great Jesus is and the beauty of the incarnation and the power of the fact that God has not only sent a representative, nor has he just kind of sent one to kind of be like us. No, if God has entered fully into the human story, has become one of us, knows exactly who we are, has identified with us so that he might save us That's the Christmas story. And we're experiencing it even in March. We experience it all the time. So thank you, worship team, for leading us. And uh, we get to sing one more. We can't remember what we'll sing this thing. It's not Christmas, but it's equally powerful. Okay. Kids, I'm going to let you be dismissed from Children's Church.
So if you're new or if you haven't been here for a while, uh, I, I don't know if I've given the full background as to why we're telling the Christmas story in March. So we are in this series called The Story that's uh, been going on for about 21 weeks or so to this point. And we're just starting today the section of the Bible known as the New Testament. Many of you are very familiar with this whole layout, but some it may be new to you. So we're just getting a fresh start today in a 31-week journey into the New Testament. So if 31 weeks feels really long for you, then how about we just say nine weeks of the New Testament, all right? It's a new series, it's a new start, and a, a wonderful study of the New Testament, beginning with the study of the life of Jesus, which can begin nowhere else but in the birth narrative, the birth story. Now, the Gospel of Luke also likes to talk about the birth story of Jesus and gives more detail, really, as to the actual birth. The Gospel of John doesn't really talk about it. It's awesome. There's a little bit in your story book that will, that will come from John chapter 1, not necessarily about the birth, but about the pre-existence, really, of the Word of God, the logos, the, the spoken word of Jesus himself. But it's really in, in Matthew where we get some of the background about just what God's doing, what God is now, I have uh, been preaching for a few years, and I've preached my way through a few Christmases. And that means I've preached my way through this text a few times. <laughs> and um, that means that I've preached just about every angle I think there is to be preached. <laughs> and yet this, uh, this week I found what, to me at least, was a, a, a new thought. And uh, I, I hope it's helpful for us this morning. It, goes along these lines. Life is full of, of embarrassing moments. I was thinking about this earlier before I, I read the scripture, but embarrassing moments. And if I were to say to you right now, you know, your most embarrassing moment, many of you would be able to come up with one. If you're in junior high, it probably happened yesterday. <laughs> just kind of see how life goes. If, if you're an adult and older, I mean, there's maybe not much that embarrasses you anymore. <laughs> Painfully right now, and I'll know what you're doing. 
Um, but we've all had that moment. When I was in high school, I was a freshman in high school, and there were some stairs right in front of the seniors, where all the seniors sat, at least the cool seniors. They all sat right there in this one little section. And, and the stairs went right to the, um, the cafeteria in front of them. So I remember one particular moment where I was just, as a freshman, going to you know, get my french fries or something in the cafeteria, running because the line was short, and I just, you know, took one misstep and down that whole set of stairs, just a full-on face run. And I just looked up, and like every cool kid seen just staring at me. Very embarrassing. We've all had those moments, maybe in school, not one of my prouder moments. A friend of mine who's a pastor of a large church, he, uh, I think it was either Last Easter or the Easter before, they had some baptisms in their service. And uh, at the beginning and after the baptisms, uh, he went to change and came out to turn around and preached to about 2,000 people and had left the barn door open. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Zip goes down. And uh, not a great moment. By the way, if I ever have my zipper down, let's just cover this. <laughs> Christ came about, parentheses, 
it was all very embarrassing. Actually, embarrassing is a word that doesn't quite cut it when we think about this story. A better word would probably be scandalous. The circumstances surrounding this birth would not simply cause Mary to blush and make Joseph the recipient of a few awkward stares. No, this had the potential of being a devastating situation for these two, both socially and personally. Just to play it out a little bit farther with me and think about it. You know, if, if God had been intent on the whole virgin birth thing, which he obviously wants, and for very great reasons, and we, we hold on to that year deeply today. But if he had been intent on the whole virgin birth concept, it seems like it would have at least been easier for him to choose a virgin who didn't happen to be engaged to be married. You know, it just would have been a whole lot cleaner, if, if you know what I'm saying. Either pick one who was completely single, and let it be clear to everyone involved. No one else was involved in this. Or pick one who was, a, who was married and at least keep her from suffering the shame of being pregnant out of marriage. But no. Matthew tells us here in the story that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And this fact, this little phrase just complicates things. So in this story. Now it would not only be Mary, it would be the subject of gossip and slander. Undoubtedly being called every name in the world. If you think of it, she was most likely called. We don't consider that very often, but no doubt, Mary was. But it would be Joseph as well. Until this time, a respectable carpenter in the community who would now become the topic of conversation as either the horrible monster who had gotten his fiance pregnant or the poor sap who had been cheated on by his fiance before they were even married. This is not even to mention the families of the two and the depth of embarrassment in this culture that they must have felt, particularly again in this society where uh, sins like this could typically, if taken to their extent, be settled simply with a trial and execution. I mean, this was not a good situation. Now, I'm a, a basketball coach by night, um, and it's March Madness, so I owe you one basketball illustration. <laughs> 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 about the March Madness college basketball, big tournament going on, getting started this week. Very exciting. And, and undoubtedly, already in these conference tournaments that have been going on this week, undoubtedly there will be, as it has been already this week, a, a single play at the end of the game where the coach has called a timeout and brought his team around him. And the score has been tied and they've been down by one point. And he's got to have this little clipboard thing with the play on it, that I have one of those, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, yeah. 
perfection, and they make the basket, and they win the game. I mean, and, and usually the coach will just kind of sit back, and he'll say these words to himself, or to anyone who listens. Everything that we're immersed in, the culture 
we're a part of, trained us to be, are not always falling in line with the way God operates in the world. It had been since Danny preached last Sunday and I'm standing before you today, it had been 400 years. I know it only feels like 70, but it had been 400 years between Nehemiah and Malachi and Matthew and the Gospels and the life of Jesus. 400 years since God had spoken to his people through the prophets. 400 years since he had helped them to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership. 400 years of deafening silence from above. Lots of things going on in their history, but no real word from God, no real leadership from God. And I'm going to date myself here, but you remember the commercial, some of you, older ones in the room, E.F. Hutton, right? When E.F. Hutton talks, people do what? Listen. Listen. And, and you can just imagine. Remember those commercials? Those are fun. She showed you one of those too, but I mean, it's And this is how the people of Israel were in that, in that season, in that, in that period. You can just imagine coming. I mean, we've read about Mary's pregnancy, but the, the, the time, the society was pregnant with anticipation, full, ready to burst, pregnant with waiting for what God had to say to them, how God would act in their history, how God would once again restore a king from the line of David, he had promised that he would never let this, this rule die. That he would never let the throne of David go on. How, how was he going to do this? How and when was God going to act? There have been three great bondages in the history of Israel. First, to Egypt in the days of Moses. We read about that. Then it was to Babylon in the days of the exile. We read about that. Now it was bondage to the Roman Empire that had taken hold. Romans spread out with the desire to just spread the Greek culture as far as they can push it, as far as they can spread. And, and the people of Israel had fallen uh, captivity to the, the Roman Empire. It was time for God to again move on behalf of his people. And no doubt they had ideas about what that movement should be and how it should look. But again, the birth of Jesus reminds us that God's ways are not our ways, that he doesn't do things the way we would do things. He doesn't come at problems and issues the way that we typically do. It's as if he wants to make it clear right from the start, right from the beginning of the life of Jesus, and to use this story maybe as a means of preparing these people and even as a means of preparing us as we get ready to engage with the bitter life of Jesus in the weeks to come. That, uh, that, that what is to come in, this, in the life of this baby isn't likely what we are expecting it to be. I mean, just imagine if you were never read anything in the New Testament. Maybe some of you are like, you didn't know anything about Jesus. But they had the expectations of what these folks did, of what they hoped God would do for them. Imagine what you would, you would dream of, what you would want. And then to read this story. Kind of like, hmm, 
There's something more, yeah? Not maybe there would be something bigger, a bigger splash. And yet it's as if, again, in the scripture, God's wanting us to say and to see that, uh, that this one who will learn from and listen to will not be what we had expected. God's people were looking for military power, economic vitality, a return to the glory days of King David. But God has something different in mind. Right from the start, we see glimpses of it in this narrative. Instead of military power, this one would model sacrificial, simple love. Instead of economic vitality, this one would call the people to a selfless giving of themselves. And instead of the return to the glory days that perhaps they longed for, this one would suffer on a wooden cross. Charles Wesley in his great hymn, uh, Heart the Hair Lanes, maybe we don't maybe think of that as a hymn, maybe it as a carol, but I was reading about it this week, and it's one of the like, top five hymns. Again, one that we should sing in July and September and not just on Christmas Eve. But listen, this is the third verse. This is what he says. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Risen with healing in his wings. Light and life to all he brings. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Heart the herald angels. Glory to the newborn. Amen. Well, something different that Jesus would accomplish is hinted at by the names that are given to him in the past. And he gets two names. I mean, this is awesome, right? I mean, not just one, but give him two. And the first one that, that he's given is from the angel to, to Joseph to, to give to this boy, this baby boy. He will be named Jesus. It's the Greek form of the name Joshua. The Hebrew name Joshua, which comes from Yeshua, that just means God saves. And some commentators have said, actually, in that two-word definition of the name, we both have both the identity of Jesus, God, and his mission, saves. God saves. What a wonderful definition and description of who Jesus is and how we can think of him, both who he is and what he does. But the angel is kind of given a pun, right? Because he basically says you shall name him Jesus, because, which means God saves, because he will save his people from uh, their sins. The, the people, again, would have been expecting this one to come and save them, that's for sure. But not to save them from their sins, to save them from the sins of their enemies. To save them from their enemies, period. And instead, the name is given, though, that he will be savior of his But since we know that only God can really save this, these 
Matthew in a bit of a predicament, so he's able to draw in from Isaiah, the prophet, where Isaiah spoke of the one who would, who would come that we would call Emmanuel. This name simply meaning God with us. And in this name, this beautiful doctrine of the incarnation, I had to say that word at least once, so we could keep getting that into our mental banks are deposit the word incarnation. The infleshment that, that, that this one was Emmanuel, God with us. And so it was not just this baby that would save us from our sins, but it was the one in whom God had, and as Paul writes later in Colossians, it was pleased to dwell in all his fullness. would be the one who would save us from our sins. It's this historical, again, Christian, beautiful doctrine that God, as I mentioned earlier, did not simply, that Jesus did not simply represent God. And these are all like heresies that were worked out in the first and second century. That, that, God, that Jesus did not just kind of represent God. That he didn't just kind of appear to be God or even appear to be human. But that he really was fully God and fully human. This mystery of the incarnation. That he wasn't just kind of a God, a, a, a kind of lesser God, but that he was God himself. Again, that verse from Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And in turn, this God with us was pleased to dwell fully with us. To stoop down, to bend low, condescend save us from our sin because he is in fact God with us. Well, again, we're getting ready to embark in these coming weeks of the story on a journey with Jesus. And as I thought about this story and about our application for it this week, I, I, I just um, began to think about it. there's so many that somehow decide that we already know all there is to know about Jesus. And instead, create some space in our hearts for, for what God might want to teach us about Him. But not only that, how God might want to shape Him in us in these coming weeks. That would be mission accomplished here this morning. Last week, uh, Aaron and Danny and I Sounds really good. And, and we went to a conference and that kind of stuff. But we also had to make our way to the snow a little bit. And we were in the mountains of Idaho and we got to we got to snowboard and this was on. The first day we went, just the three of us, on this mountain that I've been to a few times that I don't know my way around very well. And I literally told Aaron and Danny a couple times that I may lead you into a ditch. <laughs> which none of us will be able to do <laughs> without taking our boards off and climbing. So I was very open. 
So we stayed very well into the, you know, the cutout routes and, and groomed zones. The second day, however, we got to um, invite one of my friends that lives up there, who skis, he's retired, so he skis like five days a week. Whenever there's snow, he's there. In fact, he texted me this week with a picture, 76-year-old dude just texted me a picture of fresh snow. And he's like, guess where I am? Where you snow? Um, but the same day, he led us. And on that day, he knew exactly where he was going. So he just kind of was like, get, you know, come on, get behind. Now, there were some flat areas where the snowboarders that was us had to go a little faster and get he was still just trying to guide us through here. But he got us to places that, that I had never been before. And Aaron and Danny were shocked to even know existed on this mountain. There was a whole back side of the mountain that we hadn't been to the day before. I'd been there before a while ago, but to get back there was, was awesome. And into the trees and into the, the narrow pathways where the deep powder in the snow still remained. Now, I will have to admit that there was one time, right, Aaron, when even my friend Bob led us into a ditch. <laughs> really a ditch, but it was a very, very flat spot where I thankfully made it out for the most part, but I got the enjoyment of watching Danny and Aaron just walking and breathing heavy and made their way out of that spot. Another story I'll tell you sometime is very interesting. But we got to places that we've never experienced before. We got to see new vistas. We got to experience new challenges and new opportunities that we couldn't even imagine that, that were even possible, that were even there. I'm, I'm praying and I believe that as we consider this story today and the very fact that by its telling, it is reminding us that God's ways are not our ways. That he has something to teach us and something to show us that we haven't even yet considered, perhaps, about who Jesus is and who we are in light of him. That just as my friends drag us all over that mountain, that the Holy Spirit in these next few weeks of our study of the life of Jesus would lead us and draw us and, if need be, drag us into a new Yeah. 
that's not how we would have drawn it up. It's not the play that uh, the most wise among us would have designed. God, you you show us a very embarrassing, horribly, horrifically scandalous situation in which to enter. And in so doing, God, you have forever identified yourself as one. Thank you.